Andy, we're going to pick up where we used to do a real popular segment on the show. We're going to do it live here starting once again this week with the line moves in Vegas, where they were and what they're looking to be here right now. And I want to remind our listeners out there that you can also tune in to Andy's why our contest updates from uh, Las Vegas, all the major contests, Andy puts them together for you on one separate show. You can see those on our website at playbooksports.com or on our playbook, YouTube playbook experts, YouTube channel. That's the standalone contest update results from Andy Isco. But while I've got you here, Andy, if you would share with us, the, the listeners out there, some of the major line moves that are noteworthy in the national football league this week. Well, thanks Mark. And of course, uh, uh, feel free to comment uh, as I'm going through these uh, these line moves. And again, these are as of mid-afternoon Eastern time on uh, Thursday. But uh, as we've been doing this podcast, I've not been able to check to see if there has been a line move on the Cleveland uh, uh, game against uh, um, you know Cleveland game against Baltimore this week. But I will report on what uh, what has happened so far. Uh, I'm going to start with the. Uh, uh, the game in uh, in Hamburg, Germany, this week between the Colts and the Patriots. Again, I usually start by mentioning what the advance line was 10 days before the Sunday of those games. So we're looking at, uh, I guess it would be October 31st, the last day of October, which is just after week uh, eight was played, but before last week, week nine was played. And these are actual bettable lines that you can play during the week until they take them down when the Sunday games start. Prior to week nine's games, the Patriots were one point neutral favorites with a total of 44 and a half. Now, there hasn't been much move in the total, which was reposted at 43 and a half. That's actually gone down to 43. But there has been significant line move after an adjustment. After last week's games where the Patriots lost at home to Washington and uh, the Colts had uh, uh, their effort against Carolina, uh, the game was reposted with Indianapolis and and the Patriots a pick'em. Early money has come in on the Colts, such to the extent that it got as high as the two-point favorites uh, for the Colts on the neutral site. Currently, it's down to uh, the Colts one-and-a-half-point favorites. And again, I think the reason for certainly, if not the adjustment down to pick'em, but uh, the movement, uh, the early movement uh, in this game is due to the Patriots losing to uh, losing outright to a fairly weak team in Washington. So as, as more so a, a play against new England, I think guys, than a play on Indianapolis. Andy, let me jump in here and ask Jim this question here. Uh, you did a great job once again on the four best teams of the national football league. If you were to review the four worst teams, where would new England stand on that list? <laughs> uh, well, not the by, worst. by the way, excuse me, Jim, the giants and jets are still in the NFL. <laughs> Oh, I, I thought they were in college or maybe high school. <laughs> uh, the um, Well, you got the two that are playing Thursday night that are really bad. You got the Giants and the Jets that are really bad. So those four teams, they're all worse than New England. So, They've got a stranglehold on it, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, they're, they're, really, they're really good at being bad. Um, so they're, they're, you know, the Belichick's got to go. Uh, he hasn't done anything right since Brady, um, and 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 that's why Brady left because he wasn't doing things right. He was terrible at drafting wide receivers. Brady wanted more help at that, and he he couldn't get him to do it. He's a stubborn guy. He knows his football. There's nobody's going to question that. But without being with Brady, he has a losing record as a coach in the NFL, and I think that tells you a lot. So. 
it's time for him to go. It's time for some of these guys to go. Now, I'm not trying to cost anybody a job, for Christ's sake. You know, I'm not looking to do that. But we all get to a point where we just don't keep up with the times. And we have to, if you can't keep up with the times, you got to move on. Well, it sounds like Andy said uh, the public has made a move against New England. I'm sure the Sharps do too. Andy, I hate to interrupt there with New England, but that was a sore point or a topic with me about how New England's becoming a play against team here as we've been moving forward and will be, I think, the second half of the season. No, I encourage all of you to interrupt uh, when there's something that you'd like to point out. It's, it's a much more entertaining and much more informative show, I think, when we all get involved. And I just happen to lead off this segment uh, part. Uh, in fact, I'll take a look at the next game. And this is interesting because of an unusual move in the total. And that's the game between the Packers and the Steelers in Pittsburgh. The total in this game, the advanced total, and we're already seeing these adjustments, 37 and a half. Not a surprise considering the Packers have been anemic on offense and the Steelers basically, I don't know if the defense has outscored the offense, but it's come pretty close. Uh, however, when the game was reposted, we saw the total reposted at 35 and a half. So actually two points lower than the advance line. And yet since then, that line has gone from 35 and a half, not only to the 37 and a half, but above the 37 and a half to where it's currently at 39, which is a very unusual move for a total that is that low and the initial adjustment was actually below what the lines makers put you know before last week's games you could you could be looking at uh there's a lot of pressure on pittsburgh to try to put up some more points and you know the the, the packers are not very good they're one of the bottom the bottom teams uh jordan love has not played well he doesn't look like he has a field LaFleur, when you look at LaFleur and when he was hired, he really, in my opinion, didn't have the credentials to get the head coaching job at the Packers when that was done. However, he had a, a hell of a great quarterback that won some MVPs and got some in the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. So now he's had he's got his own team there now, his own quarterback who's been there for three or four years grooming for this job. He doesn't look good. He just does not look good. And LaFleur just isn't measuring up. I mean, I believe LaFleur, correct me if I'm wrong, he was an offensive coordinator with Atlanta before he came over. Was that is that correct? I believe it was. And you know, it also goes yes. to the it also goes to the point, uh, Jim, that when you look at these coaches, and I love to handicap these games by looking from a coach's point of view, that uh, for the longest time, LaFleur had one of the best points spread records in the National Football League. Well, it's just coincidental that at the time, Aaron Rodgers happened to be his quarterback. And now he's dealing with Jordan Love, and all of a sudden everything has gone to you know what in a handbag here for this. Much football. like uh, Brady and Belichick. Belichick and Brady. It's How about game. Sean Payton and Drew Brees for many years? Yeah. And now he's struggling with an accomplished quarterback in Russell Wilson in Denver, but clearly towards the tail end of his career. But you know we we often give coaches, and deservedly so, a lot of credit for their success. Because, but we don't focus necessarily and give the right amount of you – know, you always hear about system quarterbacks. This guy fits in like San Francisco. System quarterbacks. Well, quarterbacks may be a lot more important to the success of coaches than a lot of us give them credit for. Agreed. What else? Uh, agreed. I'm sorry. Go ahead, guys. Yeah, no, I was going to uh, continue uh, unless someone, someone else want to come in on that uh, that point or – I'm okay. good. 
Okay. Uh, Atlanta at the, the Arizona Cardinals. This one has a, a quarterback injury related. Uh, uh, the Falcons were two and a half point road favorites on the 10 day advance line, and they actually opened a three point favorite on Sunday night. Now, of course, there was much speculation as to whether or not Kyler Murray would be playing for the Cardinals last week, and he was held out. Now, they reposted the game at 3, and I believe it was on Monday afternoon that they announced that Kyler Murray would be the quarterback for the Cardinals this week. That game was immediately bet down to pick him. But Atlanta is now back. After, after reassessing everything, Atlanta is back to being a one-and-a-half-point uh, road favorite. Now, coincidentally, or along with uh, coordinating with that, the total, which open, which was posted in advance at 40-and-a-half and opened at 40-and-a-half, once the news about Murray being the starter this week came out, that total has risen uh, three and a half points to the point where that is now at 44. So, uh, you know, I've always wondered sometimes, are they really making the right adjustment? I've always wondered, you know, I make adjustments to power ratings and things like that in one of the sets that I do. Is, it, is the adjustment not worth one or two points? Is it worth a field goal? Is it worth a touchdown? Because that's really what you're talking about. Is it worth an additional score? And how much of an additional score? Maybe Kyler Murray being back for the Cardinals, maybe he's not worth just three points. Maybe he's worth seven points to the effectiveness, not just of the team, but if it's effective for the team, it also affects the total as well. So maybe we're seeing at least a field goal adjustment based upon Murray being the starter. Of course, the yeah. concern is how effective will he be? Andy, the, the answer to that question, in my opinion, just look at the pay, the paycheck that Murray gets versus Toon, who started, I believe, last <laughs> week, or, or Dobbs, who started a few weeks ago, went up to Minnesota. Yes, it's yeah, it's a seven-point adjustment. I mean, this guy's talent. If if this man wants to play and he's healthy, he is way better than those other guys. So, Jim, and, does that mean that uh, it goes to the point then that if – the money you're earning in the National Football League as a quarterback is equal to the tax that's being taken out of the starting quarterback. You're really not too. You're really not all that popular. <laughs> <laughs> a great analogy. I love I'll, I'll get to that to a, a game where that's very much in play in a moment. But I want to go to the uh, game between the Lions and the Chargers. It's a little bit of a surprise uh, the way this game has has changed. The advance line had the Chargers. One-point home favorites, uh, the total of 48.5, which has not changed. The total remains the same. Uh, this was before. Now, the Lions are coming off their bye week, and this is before the Chargers uh, played on Monday night at the Jets. And, yeah, they were favored over the Jets by 3.5, but that was a very solid performance, despite the fact that the offense didn't do much. They didn't need to do much uh, once they scored on that punt return early in the game because the Jets were never even able to get the seven points in the uh, uh, contest. But when the game got reposted, the game was a pick 'em. And all the early money came into the point where the Lions are now three point road favorites, which to me is a bit of a surprise, maybe an overreaction, because I have to believe that that opening line of the Chargers of minus one still acknowledged that Detroit is the better team because they would be a favorite on a uh, on a neutral field. Now, if you go as and we've used this example before, if you go and I know the the home field advantage in the NFL is no longer three points, but it's an easy number to work with. It's somewhere between one and a half and two and a half, depending upon how you do your calculations. But if the Lions are three point favorites on the road, that means they'd be a six point favorite on a neutral field and a nine point favorite at home. And that just doesn't seem to, to make any sense. I mean, I don't know who would lay nine uh, points even at home against the Chargers with 
quote unquote, in quotes, their potential, because when they achieve that potential, they're a very good football team. So I'm a little bit surprised at the overwhelming sentiment shown after the line was already adjusted by the lines maker from Chargers minus one to pick him. So I wonder if you guys have any thoughts to perhaps uh, end actually, the confusion actually, in my mind. Actually, I, I, I do, Andy. The, the Chargers don't get much. Um, they get less home field advantage in L.A. than any, anybody else in the league. I mean, nobody has really adopted them in Los Angeles. It's because and most of the most people of, in the stands are from the other team, Jim. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that happens in the with the Raiders as yep. well because people like to, to travel to Vegas, and this is a destination like that. So uh, these are these home fields. If if the fans are the ones that determine home field, they're not getting it from them. Now it's the fact that you're sleeping in your own bed and you didn't have to take a plane to go there, but that's that's too big of a number. I mean, Detroit should not be a three point favorite in L.A. for this game. I think the opening line, something one of the two teams, one point, I could I could tolerate that. But this three numbers, it's a bad number. I'm not going to bet the Chargers because I I just don't trust Staley, you know. But <laughs> but you know, to prepare a team off a short week like they had against the Jets, who have a good defense, absolutely no offense. This team has an offense and. Their defense isn't bad. Their head coach is very popular. He's done a good job. So I, I would I would probably play Detroit if I was getting picker minus one, but I'm not laying three. You know, it's interesting because it almost – and I'm going to use it. In fact, Mark, I'll, I'll throw it to you with a college football analogy this week. Uh, it almost looks like they're begging you to uh, take the Chargers plus three at home in this game with the Lions being that big of a favorite. And I'm going to take a look just as an aside here, but we do cover college football as, as we did earlier. The game this weekend between Oklahoma State and Central Florida. Oklahoma State's won five in a row. They're off their biggest win, not in program history, but in recent years, the final installment of the Bedlam game winning on the road at Oklahoma. That's their fifth straight win. Most of those wins, I believe, I think four of the five were as underdogs. And yet at Central Florida, which is not the Central Florida we've known, they're still a competent football team. I don't know that they ever recovered from blowing that 25-10 early fourth quarter lead against Baylor about a month or so ago, even though they won, uh, they came up short. They covered last week against Cincinnati, but why is Oklahoma state just a two and a half point road favorite? Are the lines maker, the lines makers have to believe when the public looks at this game, they're going to say Oklahoma state, look, they just beat Oklahoma. They've won five in a row and you only have to lay two and a half. Is that almost a signal that says Oklahoma, that central Florida may be the right side in this game? Well, Andy, I'm going to com- I'm going to comment on that with my free pick at the end of the show. That just happens to be my free pick, so I don't want to spill the beans until I get there. Uh, and I'll take I'll take the opposite side, and because I know who Mark's going with, but that is the fact that here it is, Andy, in Big Twelve games this year, Central Florida, when winless. they're favored, there you go, have not only been. Uh, winless, but they have not even covered. Unless, of course, you want to consider last week they were, I think they were a three-point favorite and one by two. Yeah. And that was not even a Big 12 team in reality. That was Cincinnati. So another AAC team. Exactly. So there you go. Every time they make them a favorite at home against a quality Big 12 team or any Big 12 team, they lose. Well, it's not so much that. I'm saying why is Oklahoma State not like a four, four and a half point favorite in this game, given their recent success and the way the, the current momentum of both of these teams? But, Mark, I'll, I'll wait to hear your analogy. I have the, I have the answers to that, Andy. To do with the competing, 
Well, their biggest rivalry is Oklahoma, and they beat them, so it might be a great letdown spot. The line definitely is perplexing, guys. Uh, Andy makes a good point that uh, uh, the Cowboys could be favored by four, five, six points. With that said, this is one of those oh four, five, or six games that you usually see every weekend in college football in which you have a unranked home underdog taking on a ranked conference opponent. And these games generally have been very, very good for that home underdog over the last 10 or more seasons. It seems to me for that game, maybe to a certain extent, the Chargers game that, that initiated this, this discussion, but certainly in the college game, that if you're handicapping this game, that if you like Central Florida, you are handicapping much more on the intangibles rather than the fundamentals and the statistics surrounding the teams, because that's about the only real, real way that you can come up with a convincing case to play on Central Florida. So if you're talking about the letdown situation, which is obviously at play, that's an intangible factor surrounding the fact that Central Florida is is winless in the uh, in the conference so far in their first year. That's an intangible factor. But if you look at the fundamentals, Oklahoma State uh, has has shown itself to be the, uh, uh, the much the better football team. But let's see what happens on Saturday. I'm staying away from that one, but I may rethink that when I hear Mark's analysis later on. Let me let me get back to the game that uh, I was talking about. We were talking about the Kyler Murray situation. That's the game between Dallas and the New York Giants. And we were talking before about the value of a quarterback, how much he's really worth to the game. The advance line in this game back on October 31st, Halloween, before week nine's games were played, had the Cowboys a 10-point home favorite in the contest. Well, we know that Daniel Jones is out for the season now, and uh, DeVito is now going to get the start as the Giants are working in some backup quarterbacks who won't be ready uh, in time, I believe, for this Sunday. When they reposted this game on Sunday night, I don't believe it was known for certain that Jones was out for the season, but it was expected that he was out. Much like the week before with Kirk Cousins' injury at Minnesota, it was feared it was a torn ACL, but they didn't get the confirmation until the, the MRI on Monday. So they reposted this game, not at the 10 that they opened it the previous Tuesday, but at 15. Then, of course, the news came out that Jones was indeed a loss for the season. The Giants weren't doing much with him. You wonder how much of a drop-off it really is based upon who starts, but he's still an experienced NFL quarterback, uh, you know, who has had some moments and has had, you know, last year was a really good season for him. The line was bet up already from 15 to another key number at 17. I can understand how people will want to play Dallas in this game. I certainly cannot make a case for what would normally be a play on taking those generous points because I wonder how the Giants score. And A, what will the turnovers be if you're getting an inexperienced quarterback like DeVito facing a very good Dallas defense? uh, Those are all real, really good, valid points uh, here, Andy. And like you said, the Giants weren't much with Jones. It's like, who was that baseball player, Jim, in the past, or Victor, that uh, he wanted to raise and the owner of the team, he was the best player in the league on the team and everything. He says, listen, we were a last-place team. Ralph Kiner. Yeah, we'll be a last-place team without you. No raise. (laughs) Well, that's what it is with Daniel Jones. I, I I would easily bet the Giants under their team total. Number one. Yeah. Uh, number two, I'd probably bet Dallas in the first half to bury them. And then the second half, Dallas will probably coast it, it, because it's not going to be a challenge to defend DeVito and 
Danny DeVito, correct? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's it's to me to me it's a one-sided game. D- Dallas should probably be maybe 20, 20 and a half in this game. That would be the right line. Uh, one more game. Well, actually, uh, two more I'll mention. I'm going to talk about the Sunday night game here, about the, the Jets at the uh, Raiders. The advanced line had the Jets two-and-a-half-point road favorites, uh, total of 37, which has gone down half a point. When the game was reposted, the Jets were still made the favorites, but they were bet one-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, this is after the Raiders beat the Giants on Sunday, but before the Jets played on Monday night. Now, after the Jets played on Monday night, they reposted the game. And despite the Jets' performance, for some reason, they were put back at two-and-a-half-point road favorites after losing to the Chargers the way they did. The money has come in, as you might expect, on the Raiders. First, the Jets were bet down to a one-and-a-half-point road favorite. And right now, at least within the last hour, uh, the, the last time I looked, the game was a pick, and which seems to me maybe not even enough of an adjustment because – I think I may have, I don't recall if I used the game last week uh, when the pre-recorded segment as uh, the, the Raiders, but once they fired McDaniels, a huge weight was lifted off this Raiders team collectively. Uh, it was a toxic situation in the locker room, not amongst the players, but between players and coach. And that situation was, I mean, look, you got the, what was he, the leading rusher last year in Josh Jacobs. You have Devontae Adams, one of the best receivers. Okay, you have an inexperienced quarterback with O'Connell. Or you have uh, Garoppolo. So the Raiders were sitting on a good performance, and they delivered that against the Giants. Now, I'm not so sure how long that uh, they'll get that new coach momentum boost, but I would expect, considering the foe that they're playing this week, uh, is – is equally as inept, maybe better defensively than the foe they played last year. I'm under. I'm trying to understand why the lines maker still made the Jets a favorite after we saw a what the Raiders did to the Giants after the coaching change, and then b what we saw the Jets do at home on Monday night. Well, is what the Raiders did in that football game, Andy, uh, tr- uh, largely attributable to the coaching change that uh, the new interim coach, who obviously is well liked, and. Uh, uh, also, the fact that the Jets do play a pretty good, decent brand of defense here. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at the number here, too, but uh, they're not giving any credit at all to what the Raiders did last week. The public is, however. Yes. That, that's yes. why that line's down to pick them now. Yes, right now it is, yes. Yeah, the okay. combination of the Jets' defense and a rookie quarterback, fifth-round draft pick, yeah. and, I mean, the Giants – do we really respect the, Ra- the Raiders win that much? <laughs> that's pro- that's probably the key to it. it, it they played, a, you know, strength of schedule issue. The Jets have a, a superior defense to the Giants, so right there, yep, the best unit on the field is going to be the Jets' defense, and that may be the reason. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about this game when when I go for my pick of the week, uh, much like Mark's going to do with the. Uh, uh, the previous game uh, that we discussed. Uh, Broncos at Bills Monday night. The game, the advance line was nine and a half. Now, keep in mind, Denver had a bye last week, so we only have the only result that, that should have affected, barring any other injuries that came out during the bye week, which I don't recall any, uh, should not have been terribly affected. And in fact, the line opened with Buffalo a nine and a half point home favorite. Okay. The initial action before the game was taken off on Sunday favored the Broncos because the, the when the line was taken off, Buffalo was just an eight-point 
home favorite. So a line, a move of a, a bet, actual bettable line of a one and a half point move towards the road dog. And then when they reposted it before the Sunday night game, and it stayed the same after the Sunday night game when they lost at Cincinnati, they did not penalize Buffalo for that that effort. The game was readjusted Sunday night uh, before when they put all the lines back up seven and a half, which is where it, it was reopened and and remained. So it's interesting. De- Denver has played better of late, but it's interesting that we saw such early enthusiasm in that week on the Denver Broncos before. Buffalo took the field for his next game and before the uh, bye week. I wonder if anyone has thoughts on why we might have seen that seen that early move. I'm thinking it was maybe somewhat a recognition of Denver's improved play, but also an acceptance of the fact that this Buffalo team is not the powerful team on offense that we've seen the last three, four years. Victor, how do you, how do you see that? Partially because of the, the court, the uh, um, Buffalo Josh, defense, Josh Allen's, the right shoulder. He's had problems with the shoulder, and recently he ranks pretty, pretty, really down the bottom of the league in attempted y- yards per pass. He's not throwing the ball downfield, and could that be a result of that shoulder injury that's still bothering him? On the other side, they lost two defensive starters a few weeks back Milano, and I can't remember the other player's name. But that really crippled their defense. And their head coach is not well thought of. And he's getting more and more pressure to produce. He he has a quality team there. And they are in position right now to not make the playoffs. Well, they they would be out right now, Jim, if the playoffs started this week, Buffalo would. Correct. Wow, that's that's very – and you know, Andy, you mentioned – the fact that of an acceptance that the Buffalo offense is not as good as people think. You're exactly right. Jim just hit it right in the head. It's the fact that because of those significant defensive injuries, that this defense is nowhere good as people classified them earlier in the season. Uh, They gave up, what, 397 yards to the Bengals last week, including 345 through the air. So it is a combination of things. Better play by Denver, weaker offense for Buffalo, and much weaker defense too. And, and by the way, Denver statistics, they have improved. Keep in mind, they still have that 70 points allowed to Miami right. and all those yards. That Now, the influence in the statistics will decrease right. as more games are played. But if you look at those numbers now, their overall season numbers do not reflect the improvement, although those numbers are getting better as you add one more game to the database. Well, you would think there had to be improvement, Andy, you know, to, to some degree. But uh, they are playing decent defense right now, Denver is. And yeah, they're going to be one of these football teams, I think, in the second half of the season personally. That's going to be flying under the radar here. And Sean Payton may get a hold of this team, get their attention. I think they're going to be cashing more tickets than losing. I think they could be a moneymaker. Yeah in the second half of the season. That's my personal opinion. And, I would agree. Yeah, would and, agree. and with that, uh, we'll send it back to you, Mark, uh, to uh, regain uh, captaincy of the ship. Okay, well, what we'll do here now, guys, is uh, let's run to hand it over to Greg, our producer, and do our roundtable talk. Greg's got some questions I know he wants to ask of us, and I know we've got some answers we want to share with Greg. Yeah, I, I did want to – by the way, that was Daquan Jones, Jim. 
So oh yeah, right. So right. when Jones went down and Milano went down, it's exactly around the time that they've now dropped five straight covers. And so I got to ask you though. So shouldn't if 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 you are losing five straight covers, me so and Vegas is putting these lines out and they're seeing that the team that they're putting this line out for each week is not covering games. Shouldn't that reflect the line? Well, you also have to put in what the public's bias is and, and what the sharps are like. I mean, there are teams that these perceptions the big the big money players like to bet, and there are teams that the public likes to bet. And you kind of have to balance that because we know that one big better that walks in with two hundred thousand is going to wipe out a lot of five dollar and ten dollar betters, you know, from from an influence standpoint, but. When you have Josh Allen, who's supposedly one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and the you know the Buffalo Bills is one of the favorites to make it to the Super Bowl out of the AFC, people are slow to grab onto that. The loss of quarterback, the, the loss at the defensive side, the conservative play calling, the injury to Allen's right shoulder all takes it takes away from me to want to play them and i'm certainly not going to be laying points with them especially after what you just said five losses to the spread and all the negativity on defense and offensive production now giving up almost 400 yards to joe burrow is no shame at all because that guy's pretty damn good and he is one of the best and right now i'd say you have to consider him as an mvp candidate to win that MVP of the year, at least in the AFC best player. But he's going up against another one, you know, as far as betting with Jackson, with, with Baltimore. So those two teams are two of my top four teams in the league. So I can't put too much away there. But going against Sean Payton, Russell Wilson, and their improvement, which figures to be over the year, I would not bet – I'd be not betting – the bills with your money honestly well they didn't even cover tampa bay a couple weeks ago so what does that tell you and by the way um actually i got to ask you though so is there a way to find out do do is are there is there software out there is there a company out there that follows that type of wagering what i mean by that is is that because like you said vegas is going to maybe change or they should change the line just like you would see at the racetrack if someone comes in with a heavy bet but is there a way to find out like because obviously if they're going to change the line based on a heavy bet well that's only one person so why am i why should i be influenced by one person's you know feeling on a game well the money the money i mean if i'm a bookmaker and a guy walks in with 200 grand on one side another guy walks up with 20 on the other side I am I'm going towards the 200 grand. I'm moving in that direction. And that's, you know, today it's a different world. Uh, we have, we, we have bookmakers. We've always, we've had offshore bookmakers for the last 20 years, but now we have legalized sports betting throughout the States. So, and a lot of these places, the FanDuel, DraftKings, all these, they're taking money and they're making moves. And, uh, so the bookmaking landscape has changed quite dramatically. In the old days, when I talked to the bookmakers in Vegas all the time, every day, I knew what they were thinking. It's different today because everybody's reacting to what everybody else is doing 
they're not always good decisions because a lot of these bookmakers are they're they're there to you know attract customers attract deposits they're not too worried about losing a couple bucks here and there if they can pick up another four five hundred thousand customers that week that's a great point that you make there jim i think it's outstanding point and i'll say this greg to your question here is uh you can on uh, uh legal sportsbook sites you can find out the percentage of uh wagers that are occurring on each team and also if you see an odd inordinate amount of wagers being bet on a team, but the game is not moving, it's likely because of what Jim said. You're getting a lot, a ton of $20 betters as opposed to the guy that's betting a hundred large in the game. Okay. Um, I won't take too much time because I know we're, we're really cooking with, uh, with content today. So I have to ask you guys though about the San Francisco Jacksonville game, Andy. Well, you know, I, I forget what the game was where I, we talked about it before, but Jacksonville won five in a row, uh, and now all of a sudden their momentum is snapped because of the fact that they have to have their bye week. Came at a bad time. You, When you're winning, you want to keep on playing. You don't want to change your routine, and that's often reflected in the results on the field. At the same time, San Francisco's lost three in a row. We know the reasons. No Debo Samuel, no Trent Williams, uh, pretty uh, – Purdy forced to do some things he hadn't been asked to do because of some of those injuries. Uh, no Debo Samuels, as 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 I mentioned, um, they've lost three in a row, scoring 17 points exactly in each of those three games. So the bye came at the right time for uh, San Francisco. Uh, Jacksonville has had a fine season. They're clearly the best team, at least playing the best football. I think the best roster in the AFC South, which is still a relatively weak division. Not that the NFC. Uh, West is all that much better, but I don't know that there's as a big a drop-off to the bottom of the NFC West as there is in the AFC uh, South. And I'm talking about, look, San Francisco, Seattle, those are playoff teams, and the Rams are improved. I don't know that you could say that about uh, the teams. Uh, uh, well, you could say Houston's improved for laying a very low place to start from. I happen to like uh, San Francisco in this game. The organization is strong. You know, when you consider every everything uh, with, with full health, you, you can make a case that San Francisco has got the best roster and the best balance of any team in the league. They can do many things on offense with Samuel McCaffrey, George Kittle, etc., Debo Samuel, etc., the offensive line. And defensively, they're as good as any team in the league as well. Um, this is a game that San Francisco, well, they actually find themselves tied with Seattle. I think they're both five and three, which is something you would not have expected. You would not have expected the 49ers to lose three in a row, but you understand the reason. As much as I like Jacksonville in normal situations, if the 49ers had not lost three in a row, if they were coming off a loss, just a single loss, I would be more inclined to play Jacksonville plus the three. But I think that this is such a high-caliber team in San Francisco with their experience. They've been at it for several years now with the, the core uh, largely intact after before adding McCaffrey last year has made a big difference. I'm going to be on San Francisco in this game. Victor, how, how do you see this game shaking out? Well, I did mention a little bit earlier that uh, there's a good system to go under the total when both teams are off their buy. I've got the numbers, in fact, in the database here. In the last six years, uh, both teams are off their bye week, two overs, 13 unders. It's also a game in which the road team is favored, which have been very, very strong underplays in the last two seasons with the Niners laying points. Uh, it's 
it could potentially be one of the most weather impacted games of the weekend. Uh, from what I hear, high winds down in Jacksonville on Sunday morning and potentially during the Sunday afternoon, not to mention there is a chance of rain down here as well. So uh, we got multiple factors and I'm going to be on the under. Just make sure that if you do join me, both 44 and 45 are key numbers. The number is hanging right now at 45.0. So if you're going to join me on the under, grab a 45.0 or higher, just in case the number falls right on 44, which is a key number, would mean we would cash the under winner by a full point. Well, I'm with Andy in this football game, guys. Uh, I think what this amounts to, just to keep it short, is the fact that uh, this is a step-up game for Jacksonville uh, to prove that they are in, they belong to run with the big boys here right now. They haven't beat big boys in the past. They haven't beat the NFC West. They've been beat like a drum. They've lost 16 of the last 17 games against teams of the NFC West. And you've got in San Francisco a team that we alluded to earlier here a month ago was the best team in the National Football League. And now they've taken, for all intents and purposes, three standing eight counts in a row. They've weathered that storm. They've had a week of rest to get ready for the football game. I'm with Andy. I'm on San Francisco in this game. Uh, back to that uh, Green Bay game a second. Um, have you guys – I noticed I was going over the, the research that all of their lines this year have been between three and three. Have you ever noticed anything like that before over the long season where one team has never been a dog of over three or a favorite of over three? I think that's a real oddity. Uh, yeah, I'm there sure, it is. Yeah, I'm sure we could check that out in the database, but uh, that's a good point, Greg. I wasn't aware of it. Uh, I, I had no clue about that. Uh, so I'm sure we can check it out, yeah. but I think it's a rarity. I really do. Well, that's, that's that's good research, and I'm wondering how much of that has to do with, at the start of the season, little was known about Green Bay post-Rogers, and little is still known about Green Bay with Jordan Love. They're not a bad team, but they're not a good team either. Yeah, they don't have an identity as, yet is what they yep. have. Don't have, right. By the way, uh, Matt LaFleur was the uh, quarterback coach uh, with Atlanta, Jim. Okay. Um was, I, I do remember when he got hired as the head coach. I didn't feel like he had the qual qualifications for that job. Yeah, he was. Isn't, uh, isn't Matt Lafleur part of the Mike Shanahan original coaching tree? I mean, he had that Washington at Kyle that time. Shanahan, yeah, Kyle, yep. Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, uh, that that at the time they were called the Redskins. Yeah, 2010, I believe, to 2013. Uh, that Shanahan coaching tree did include guys like LaFleur, like our guy down here in Miami, McDonald. In fact, numerous uh, coaches that are head coaches right now in the NFL. It's kind of weird that that Washington team didn't do very, very well during that four-year period, considering where some of those coaches are right now. And Sean McVay. And McVay, too, right. They let them all go. Yeah, yes, they yeah. did. That's 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 why they have a new owner. So uh, um, and then uh, just quickly on college, I have to ask you guys, um, Andy, most impressed with New Mexico State or UNLV? I'm impressed with both of them. And I think both of them have outstanding coaches that have had decent track records in the past. Jerry Kill, of course, back with uh, uh, Northern Illinois, I believe it was, and then Minnesota before some health issues caused him to step away. Barry Odom, coach at Missouri, an assistant at Arkansas under Sam Pittman's staff the last few years. 
Uh, it's hard to uh, it's hard to say I'm impressed more with one than the other, uh, because both have uh, well exceeded expectations, and all both have been making money all year. Mark, I echo Andy Sounds exactly here. Uh, you know, I have to tip my hat to UNLV on the great turnaround they've had. I've always been a big Jerry Kill fan, even from his days in the MAC. Uh, and the seizures that he had to fight through in his life, and he keeps fighting on, and he's a hero in my heart, my eyes. And I love seeing what he's doing with New Mexico State here. This football team, guys, uh, I believe they've won seven games. They're already well past being bowl eligible. And in our midweek alert newsletter this week, uh, if you get a chance, you might want to download this, but it was one of the games that I wrote up in the midweek. And they bring something to the table in this game that's really unique that you just don't see anywhere. And it's the fact that they're an underdog who runs the football, rushes the ball for six yards a carry, and they're taking points from a favorite who allows five yards a carry. Usually, in that world of uh, YPRs, five-by-five five dogs are outstanding. When you get a six-by-five five dog, I mean, it's almost time to pop the champagne. You don't see this very often <laughs> in, in a game like we have with New Mexico State. Yeah. Yep. Uh, based on 13 games, they had to win seven, which they just did for bowl eligibility. But now they're at Western Kentucky on Saturday. And if they beat Western Kentucky, they're going to play at Liberty for the Conference USA Championship. Nice. So nice. it's not just about bowl eligibility. They're actually nice. went away from being in the yeah, championship game. Exactly. They got their sights set on bigger fish to fry. Exactly. And then they go at Auburn next week. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Greg, last week uh, I, I kind of poo-pooed UNLV a little bit, and I got taken to task by uh, Greg, our uh, our producer on the show. And I did do some research over the weekend, Greg, and, I mean, you're absolutely right. Third place in the Mountain West Conference, 7-2 straight up for the Rebs. Not only that, uh, they're tied for the best ATS record in college football yes. this season. There's only two teams who are 8-1 and one ATS, Arizona Wildcats and UNLV Rebels. So uh, I take it back. Good, good year for them, uh, the Rebels, uh, particularly on offense, yeah. I think New Mexico State's on a seven-game point spread streak right now, too, so they're probably in the conversation as well. Yeah, and by the way, uh, UNLV also in the mix uh, for the Mountain West Conference championship game uh, to take on Air Force if Air Force uh, wins out. So a big game between Wyoming and UNLV tomorrow, actually. Both teams have a chance. To play in the big game with uh, Fresno State and San Jose State yep. on also. Saturday night because UNLV played Fresno State and lost. So Fresno has the tiebreaker against UNLV. And, of course, Air Force 5-0 and in conference played their lone loss last week. That's the sh- one of the shocking results of not just the week but the season, the yeah. way, especially since they were playing in Denver uh, to Army. Uh, it makes it interesting because – and it may it will be interesting to see – what the line move does in Fresno, San Jose, which will be played Saturday night, how it is affected by the result. If UNLV wins on Friday night, tomorrow night against Wyoming, it makes it very important for Fresno to win to maintain that one-game advantage. Should UNLV lose on Friday to Wyoming, well, then Fresno still needs to win to maintain an edge over some other two-loss teams, but San Jose State is also in the mix for the conference championship, although they may need some help. But if, if they beat Fresno, they'll be in good position. So that's going to be a very interesting and entertaining game on Saturday night. But there will be some impact in the line, I believe, based upon what Wyoming, uh, what, what UNLV does against Wyoming tomorrow night. Yeah, Mark and I are going to go over all this on our college football show um, on, uh, on the Arledge channel. But 
when I was saying with Wyoming, uh, why it was so big, because keep this in mind, if Wyoming wins and Fresno loses, Wyoming has the, has the edge on Fresno because Wyoming beat Fresno. So now all of it, so yeah, so either way, so Fresno obviously wants UNLV to win, e even yeah. though you would think the opposite, but yeah, they want UNLV to win and then hopefully, uh, but again, that's, uh, it, it's, it's shaping up to be a really good next couple of weeks. That's what we love about this time of year in college football. Uh, lastly, before I, I bring it back to you, Andy, for your uh, pick of the week is, um, and I'll, st I'll just ask you, Jim, I know you're not, we don't talk too much college football, but I got to ask you, when USC is a 15-point dog to Oregon, the money, uh, you know, initially I'm like, of course, I'm all over Oregon. How can I, how can I not be? USC, mentally, they got to be in the crapper. Oregon's probably going to just have no, uh, you know, no, uh, um, no doubt that they're going to go in that game. And if they can blow out USC, I'm sure they're going to want to do that. But Anytime you see USC as like a, what are they, a five to one dog or something like that on the money line, a six to one dog, doesn't that, how, how do you, do you, do you actually invest in something like that just because a team like that is so talented and they're getting such a big number on just the money line? I, I wouldn't take the money line on it, but I'd take the, I'd take the points, but I would not take the money. Um, so Oregon might be the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah. Well, the que the question is, Oregon and Washington are two really quality teams. Yes. Can, you know, they're they're fighting to get into the playoffs. Is there any chance those teams can make the playoffs? Yes. I mean, yeah, as one-loss teams. teams winning the Pac-12, yep. I'm, I'm sure there'd probably be a real good chance. Wa right? Washington's in the better shape because they've already beaten Oregon in the regular season. That's probably going to be the matchup. I think if Oregon were to beat Washington, a lot of it would depend upon – the Ohio State, Michigan, how that plays out. Do they all have, do they beat each other along with Penn State and each has one loss? What happens? Will Florida State get tested by Miami uh, this week? Could they be upset? They're they're perfect. Uh, Texas still in the picture in the Big 12 with that one loss at uh, uh, one loss so far in the season and the impressive win at Alabama. And then you got to consider the situation Alabama and Georgia. What comes out of the SEC championship game if Alabama? I guess they would have to be called pulling upset on Georgia. You could have multiple one-loss teams, or you could have three or four unbeaten teams, and I think that would have a lot to do with if anyone comes out of the Pac-12. I think this year, uh, based upon the overall quality of play, I'd have to rate the winner of the Pac-12 to be better than, let's say, Florida State, assuming they win the uh, ACC. So unless they give two bids to the Big Ten, which I don't think would happen, especially with the Harbaugh situation, uh, that I would think that the Pac-12 winner most likely would get a fourth spot. And I think it would be fitting for the Pac-12 to make the college football playoff in their final year of their conference as well. Yeah, so um, if Oregon does win out, and they're sixth in the rankings right now, so if they win out, I mean, the one thing that could hurt them is if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, because you know they'll put both of those yeah. teams in the playoffs. And if yeah. Florida State doesn't lose, then all of a sudden, you you know, somebody's going to get screwed if the Big Ten champion is undefeated. And that would be Oregon. This so. might be a good year to have the 12 teams in the playoffs. One year too early. Right. Yeah, Andy, right. Uh, that'll wrap it up for my segment. Who do you who, What do you got for us as far as your pick of the week? Well, this is uh, one of those controversial games that we touched upon uh, earlier, and that's the Monday night game with Buffalo uh, hosting Denver. And uh, I, I guess to say it best, 
it's surprising, if not downright shocking, that Buffalo is five and four at the midpoint of the season. I mean, they basically had been one of the favorites to not just win the AFC, but win the Super Bowl before the season started. And of course, Jim gave many of the reasons on both sides of the football why Buffalo has struggled. Let's keep in mind that all four losses have been by one score and all have been uh, away from uh, away from home. Uh, the, uh, the They had that one neutral site loss in um, uh, in, in London to uh, Jacksonville uh, when they played over there. The Bills are 4-0 at home as they prepare to face Denver, for whom last week's bye came at an inopportune time, as I noted, after a pair of wins that followed a 2-5 and five start. So they had some uh, momentum. Uh, Buffalo still has one of the NFL's top offenses. They're number five in both yards and scoring, although quarterback Allen has not played at the same high level as in the past several seasons. Jim mentioned the shoulder is a significant part of that uh, That reason. Uh, Denver's D uh, has shown improvement following an awful first month, but the offense has struggled to find some consistency, even with a strong running game. Now, the Bills are in a second straight primetime game after last Sunday night's 24-18 loss in Cincinnati. With four losses already and being a game behind Miami in the AFC East and a trip to South Beach for a rematch later in the year, uh, Buffalo must approach uh, each game with a certain sense of urgency as a fifth straight playoff appearance is very uncertain, especially given the tough schedule that lays ahead for the Bills. Following this game, they have three straight games at Philly, a bye week, at Kansas City, and hosting Dallas. So, you know, oh if Buffalo enters that game with five losses, their Man. chances of a playoff are almost going to be killed because, you know, I, the, two of those games are on the road. I can't see them winning two out of those three, let alone all three that they might need. So I, I'm going to expect a very strong effort in this spot as they face a foe that's starting to show improvement, and the momentum was stalled by the bye. Um, asking them to win by a touchdown, they have that capability when their game is on, and I think they realize the urgency of this game. This is a game that they cannot afford to lose given that their next three games – they may be underdogs in one or two, or maybe all three of them. Although I don't think they'd be an underdog at home in that. Uh, Andy, in- from a betting standpoint, concern the concern with that spread being over seven. I mean, it's difficult when you're already struggling on offense. And yeah, they have a strong home record. Would it be more advisable to take uh, Buffalo in a teaser with some other teams that you might like? In two team teasers. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, we talked about uh, uh, the Ravens being uh, uh, such a team, Seattle uh, being such a team, Cincinnati being such a team. There are four teams right there with a point. And uh, uh, what was the other one? I think we were mentioning the uh, Baltimore, I think. I don't know if I mentioned that one, but uh, those would be the teams to consider where you can tease those teams down to zero. However, we know in the NFL, when you're teasing teams like that down to pick them or one, inevitably one of those teams gets upset. It just seems to fall that way but from a from an objective standpoint yeah that would be a very good way to uh, back buffalo in this game that's andy isco with his free play in the mm-hmm. buffalo bills a little bit of reservation in the play obviously due to their situation but he brings out great points the fact that they have to play every game with urgency if they want to make the nfl football playoffs this year with that guys we're going to switch over to our awesome angle of the week and victor and i are going to wrap things up with our free pick I'm going to let Andy Isco and Jim Feist go on the show at this particular point. I want to thank you guys for your great contributions. And, Jim, before I do that, any final closing thoughts you might have on this card this week? Well, I'm, t- I'm looking at, um, at teams that I feel can win. 
and not trying to, I'm not trying to play bad coaches, bad offensive coordinators, bad quarterbacks. Uh, but uh, because I just don't know what the hell they're going to do every week. They're very inconsistent. Uh, I try, I don't mind playing against them, but if the spreads are too high, then I do look for the teaser issues. Uh, you know, like for example, what Andy pointed out in the four teams that he mentioned would be a perfect teaser. You could play all four of them, which you get some extra odds, or you can play a bunch of two teamers in there, which also works. And I think that's an advisable way to go. If you're going to bet $200, spread out 50 on each one of them, and you might an extra 50 and you take all four of them. I mean, so another way of playing, you can also look for situations where you can bet under team totals or over team totals when you're going up against a good defense or a weak defense. So there's a lot of different ways to play these days that years ago, when we all started in this business, those options weren't there. And thank goodness for FanDuel and DraftKings for bringing those types of situations because Nevada was never going to change unless somebody pushed them to change. So now we have other options. We don't have to just bet the side. We don't have to just bet the first half or the second half or just the total. And I mean, there was a day when there was no totals. So, you know, so we have a lot more options and there's a lot of ways to go. For example, I like San Francisco, but I'm not going to lay three on the road to a team who has a pretty good coach. He's already won a Super Bowl, a, a very promising quarterback. And Shanahan's a good coach, but he's been to two Super Bowls. He had the lead both and he blew both of them. So, yeah, he's a good coach and I respect them a lot, but there's not a big difference there. With They both have good football minds. And the quarterback issues, I mean, nobody's going to say that they want Purdy over Lawrence. Lawrence is pretty good. They got the home field advantage, which isn't very strong in the NFL or in that particular venue. But I like a two-team money line parlay with who I think would be two teams that should win. I just don't want to lay three, and that would be the Steelers and the Niners. There's, there's Jim Feist with that money line play again. Doing the money line rather than laying the points. A two-team parlay, Steelers and 49ers. Great thought by Jim Feist. Jim and Andy, great job on the show this week. We're going to roll it over here. I know we're running a little bit long on the show here this week, but we want to get this information out to our loyal listeners. We're going to do our awesome angle of the week this week, and I call this awesome angle. It comes from our black book, our playbook black books. And if you follow our black book, you know that each year there's 10 new systems in there and they're all themed around musicians and artists and songs. This week's awesome angle is called 10th Avenue freeze out. And if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan, you know exactly where we're coming from on this one. I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, by the way. Uh, so what we're going to do with our 10th Avenue freeze out this week is we're going to play against any NFL team that is four and five on the season in game 10 if they're coming off a loss straight up as a favorite. That's all it is, guys. You're four and five on the season. You come off a loss straight up as a favorite. We're going to play against you, and we're going to do that because since 1990, get this, these teams are just eight and 36 straight up with only 10-point spread covers, 10-32 and two to the spread. It's all pretty good numbers here. We're going to fade the Atlanta Falcons in our 10th Avenue freeze-out or even we'll even get the E Street Band to back us in this one here for our awesome angle play on the show this week. With that, 
Victor, I'm going to turn it over to you for your complimentary play on the show this week. I don't know if you're going to bring Tuco or any of the guys in uh, from the, from the pound, but uh, I'd love to hear what you've got on tap this week. Well, first off, I got a comment uh, on that play, Mark. It makes me feel much, much better that in the wise guy contest, Victor's two-star plays, indeed, on the Arizona Cardinals. There we go. Uh, there we go. Maybe, maybe they'll be getting a little bit of a quarterback bump at home against the overrated Atlanta Falcons with Kyler Murray getting his first start as well. Now, you mentioned the canines. And, yeah, we're going to give the ball to our canine, Tuco, this week as he has another one of those first half totals. And we touched on this game briefly the Packers-Pittsburgh Steelers game. The over-underline in the first half is 19.5 points, and we're definitely going under in this particular game. What we know from doing our research in regards to first half versus second half numbers, the Green Bay Packers dead last this season. That's number 32 in lowest average points per game in the first half of their games. They're only averaging four and a half points per game in the first half. Green Bay Packers. The surprising thing is Green Bay is the highest scoring second half team in the NFL. And nobody would have thought of that. They're averaging 16 points per game in the second half of their games. On the opposite side, the numbers are basically good or in this case bad for the uh, this week's host as well. The Pittsburgh Steelers are kind of right behind the Packers. They're number 29 in the league in first-half scoring at only 6.9 points per game. So we got a game here. It's played in one of our favorite under stadiums. Uh, it figures to start out pretty slowly for both teams. Packers, last four games in the first half, combined points, 10 versus the Rams, 13 versus Minnesota, 9 versus Denver, 13 versus Las Vegas. Steelers, last four combined points in the first half of their games. 16 against Tennessee, 12 versus Jacksonville, 12 versus the Rams, 13 versus Baltimore. Our number in this game is 19 and a half. You got two of the weakest offenses in the league squaring off in this non-conference affair. Tuco will give you a one-star play under 19 and a half points in the first half of the Packers-Steelers game. Tuco goes under the total in the Packers-Steelers game, first half total for his complimentary play on the card this week. You can pick up all of Victor King's plays, sides, and over-under totals at playbooksports.com. You can also log on to his page uh, the address. The quick shortcut address is pb.buzz, B-U-Z-Z forward slash V-K. And you can also pick up Victor's NFL over-under totals tip sheet just in time for this weekend, all at playbooksports.com. Before I get to my complimentary play on the card this week, I want to let our listeners know that my college football false favorite play of the year goes this week. It's a team that, number one, I feel should not be the favorite. We're going to play against him. And number two, we've got a live dog here that I feel will win this game straight up. You can pick it up, part of our $99 football weekend of winners at playbooksports.com. This week, last year's play, by the way, was Oregon State when they upset Oregon for this top play on the football card. With that, my complimentary play on the football card this week, we're going to go back to a game we talked about earlier when Central Florida plays host to Oklahoma State. 
Oklahoma State comes into the contest off that big upset win in the final Bedlam game, as we talked about earlier, at home as a six-point home underdog. Now they're going to lay points on the road. That's a complete role reversal for Oklahoma team in the final off the final Bedlam win. In games after taking on Oklahoma, the Cowboys are just 1-5 straight up and 0-6 against the spread when they're on the road after Oklahoma. Looking at Central Florida coming in here, they're 18-9 to the spread the last two years under Gus Malzahn. But more importantly, in the last two years with Gus Malzahn, they've been to two bowl games. He was He's done what he was hired to do, to take this team to bowl games. Coming into this game, they are 4-5 and five on the season. They're going to need two wins in their final three games to become bowl eligible to keep Gus Malzahn on the bowl track. And I like the fact that at home, when they take on an opponent off a win, Central Florida 10 and two against the spread. Give me Central Florida plus the points for my complimentary play on the show this week. And that's going to put the final reps in this edition. We're going to call this a Tommy and Danny DeVito episode <laughs> of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports. Our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas and the legend himself, Jim Feist, for joining us on the show. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.